to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software and production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Quintessence, or Quintessence Ops on Twitter. Today we're going to be discussing understandability. Understandability in this context is how easy it is for an engineer to comprehend a given system. Among other things, this can have a huge impact on how much time and effort is required to diagnose and resolve service disruptions. And today we are joined by our guest, Leron, the co-founder and CTO of Rookout. He's an advocate of modern software methodologies like Agile, Lean, and DevOps. Leron's passion is to understand how software actually works. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great being here. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about what software understandability is? So working with our customers at Rookout, we came to realize that software engineers are always trying to understand, to comprehend how the software is built and how it's doing. In simple terms, it's the age-old question for every software developer, what my code is doing and why is it doing whatever it's doing. And as software systems evolve, they age, as more and more people get involved in them, then those questions become harder. And we're finding that software engineers quite often spend more time trying to understand what is going on and why than they do spend writing new features, developing, writing code, or even fixing bugs. They just spend so much time trying to comprehend what's going on. And that's what software understandability is all about. It's about empowering engineers to understand the systems so they can just go ahead and do their jobs and deliver value for their users. That's awesome. Have you encountered any myths or misconceptions while you've set out working in this area? Working with this area, we've seen the misconception that complexity is synonymous with lack of understandability. If a system is complex, it's going to be hard to understand. And if it's simple, it's going to be easy to understand. That's so not true. There are many things you can do besides uh, changing the complexity of the system to make it more understandable. And, and that's fortunate because often changing the complexity of the system is pretty hard. I think the most obvious example to that is that if you're given a script, say a Python script that reads a, a file from disks and processes it, and I were to give you that script as a standalone, just here's the script, tell me what's, what it's doing. Or if I were to give you the same script with input examples, output samples, uh, some documentation, and so on and so forth, you would everything would be so much easier to understand. Even though I haven't changed the system or its complexity one bit, things are much easier to deal with. I got you. So what are some of the benefits of being able to understand or understandability as we're discussing it? First and foremost, when, whenever uh, you're developing a new feature, whenever you're working on, on something new, you have to figure out how it combines with whatever you already have in place. Uh, where does it go into the system? How can it impact its performance? How can it impact the stability? How can it impact the architecture? What potential drawbacks might it have? And so on and so forth. To do it right, you have to understand the system you're working on. The better you understand it, uh, the better choices you're going to make. And if you make good choices, I think we all know that feeling when we've developed a system from scratch and we know every nook and cranny in it. And so we just make those instinctive calls. This is where it should go. And things are very easy. 
And if you make, get those decisions right, things happen very fast. You develop the code faster, quality is higher, tech debt is lower, and so on and so forth. But if you're failing to understand the system, and if you're making mediocre or even bad decisions due to lack of understanding, then you're going to be spending more time on feature development. You're going to deliver lower quality features with more bugs because you have more edge cases you haven't thought of. You're going to be struggling with that. And in many organizations, they are so worried about it that they spend so much time planning and investigating, running so-called spikes just to figure out what's going on. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because we've all been running around in circles, as you just said, trying to figure out what happened when what we need is, you know, a deeper understanding or more information somehow about what's happening. And speaking of running around, how can you tell when it needs work? Like where to improve and how? If an engineer on the team gets a task and he's not sure how to approach it, even though the task is well-defined from product perspective, so the UX is well-defined, the desired behavior is well-defined, but the engineer is not sure how to approach it, where does it go into the system, what are the potential impacts of it, then your understandability probably needs, needs work. If you're looking at a feature and you're not sure how to scope it, if you're not sure what's the potential impacts or what are the risks of it, then all of that usually means that that engineer doesn't understand the system well enough. And if it's just one engineer, especially if it's someone new, then that's not a big hurdle. But if everybody on the team is struggling, or if most of the team is struggling, then the system is very hard to understand. And there's things you can and should be doing to improve that. Got it. And that makes sense. And when you're improving it, how does that affect your MTTR and other metrics that you might be tracking? So the thing is, once pager duty goes off and you know something has gone wrong, obviously the first thing you want to know is what went wrong and why it went wrong. And maybe you're seeing an alert that a latency is going up or request rates are down or whatever, but then you have to figure out how it combines into the big picture. Maybe you have one alert going off, maybe you have 20 alerts going off, but then you kind of have to, you know, we play this mind game where we envision the system, we picture where are the alerts going off, what parts of the system are not working properly, and we're trying to figure out why is this happening? What do all those alerts have in common? How do they combine? And obviously, if the system is very simple, say it's a single server with a, a set of APIs, and then it's very easy to say, I don't know, the API, is the API is showing error rates because the database latency is up and so on. But as systems become more complex, as they contain more microservices, then we, have a, we need to build a more complex mental model. And when you wake up at 2 a.m. because all of those alerts going on, you want people to be able to quickly understand what's going on, to identify the root cause, and to be able to re remediate it as quickly as possible. While if they're struggling due to lack of understanding, then that's when things get messy. They have to wake up more people because each engineer knows a piece of the system. They have to look at more tools. They have to go deeper and so on. And the more you understand the system, the easier it becomes to figure it out. That makes sense. And so what are those key elements to ensuring a better understandability of your software and system? So we've already discussed complexity. 
And obviously, by reducing the complexity of the system, you can make it more understandable. However, that's usually a very long process and something that doesn't always have positive ROI. But there are many things you can do with existing systems to improve their understandability. Obviously, you can build the knowledge. You can collect the knowledge from existing and former team members. You can build the documents. You can build the procedures. You can create as much as much knowledge and tools and share them between team members so that they are able to more easily understand what's going on. You should create development environments, uh, environments that replicate the production environments as closely as possible while still allowing engineers to play around and experiment with them so that they can take apart the system, put it back together, see how everything connects. The other two important things you should be thinking of is first and foremost, observability tools. While observability tools are not meant and they are not the ultimate solution for understandability, they do provide some insights into what's going on in the system. And you should make any observability tools you already have available to software engineers, even if they are not the traditional audience for some of them, because they can, they can and should be able to get some insights from that. And last but not least, obviously debuggers. I mean, debuggers are all about understanding our own code, running it in slow motion, playing around with it, experimenting, deep diving into any point of the business logic and seeing what's going on. And that, that's true both for uh, traditional debuggers, such as those in our IDEs, as well as the next generation of debuggers uh, or debugging platforms, such as Rookout, that allow you to debug your code as it's running remotely, in the cloud, even in production. And so all of those tools together allow you to bridge the gap of understandability, even in rather complex and dynamic systems. And that makes sense. And it makes sense that there would be tooling to support. And so, Laurent, you mentioned about the tooling chain around software understandability that can make sure that everything works and that you actually are getting the information out of it that you need. And towards the end there, you mentioned about the debugging platforms. So what would really distinguish or what would increase understandability between what you're terming a modern debugger versus maybe debuggers that have been either more commonly used or historically used? So traditional debuggers have been used for a local debugging. I mean, you git clone the repo to your own machine, then you build it, you run it in a debugger, and everything is happening locally. And in a way, nobody really cares about the process you're running right now. So you can use breaking breakpoints. You can just stop it mid-running. You can reset the process as many times as you want. You can slow it down. And so it doesn't provide any guarantees. I mean, it often slows the process significantly, sometimes even hundreds of percents. And so you get a very sort of touch and go feeling, something that's very easy as you tweak the code on your own machine and keep rerunning it, but something that wouldn't be acceptable running in a production environment and also something that's not very easy to set up for remote debugging or even for service mesh debugging where multiple processes depend on each other. The next generation of the modern debuggers work quite differently. They're using technologies that are much more similar to APM tools or exception management tools, and they are very production grade. So they use non-breaking breakpoints that get you the data you need without stopping the application and without slowing it down, without breaking the service mesh. 
They provide various guarantees for performance, stability, security, so that they allow you to get the data you need from the production environments without exposing sensitive data and without impacting negatively the user experience in any way. And so you kind of get the, the experience you're used to or almost the experience you're used to uh, without having the ops team or the security team all over it uh, because you're breaking their guarantees. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, we have SLAs we need to maintain and error budgets we need to stay within. So we want to make sure that we're choosing things that are allowing us to stay within those confines that we set up for ourselves and what we promise for different teams. So digging in a kind of to surrounding topics um, that are relevant to the space. So we have a lot of discussion around like the observability piece as well and DevOps and like cultural changes as well as resilience engineering and those cultural changes. And these things are not necessarily overlapping, I realize. But when you're talking about like you have the cultural that you need to set up and then you have the tooling that needs to support that culture Right. So debuggers as part of that. But what about those cultural practices? What about like being able to have effective communication or in the case of resilience engineering, being able to support the working pieces and keep everything, you know, again, build in, you know, more robustness into the system? How does switching the tooling for the debugger help with all of these different components that are moving around the human parts? That's a great question. And the human parts have always been a huge part in software engineering. I think over the last years, maybe 15 or 20 years, we're coming to realize how much so, how much so the human part, the software engineers, the product managers, the team behind the software uh, make such a huge difference in culture and communication in everything we do. That's important. And in a way, it emphasizes the the significance of understanding because we need to understand each other and we need to understand the software we're working on and we need to share that knowledge. We need to communicate that understanding to each other so that we can all work together. And in many ways, actually, those new toolings allow us to do it even better because new tooling allows us to collect live data from production and share that live data so that we can all be aligned Rather than imagining things or keeping the knowledge in our hands, it allows us to very clearly measure whether it's collecting variable values, getting tracing information, profiling information, metrics, and then we can all communicate together about those metrics, that information we've gathered. And so we can better understand, better understand our software, better understand our goals, better understand what we're trying to achieve. And I think resilience is also a great topic showing how hard we're working to understand our software because resilience is engineering is all about our system is so complex. Our system is so dynamic. We don't know what's going to happen when it's going to break. And we've put in place so many safeguards and failovers and all these cool features that are supposed to keep the system running. And yet, as the system becomes complex, we are not sure we understand what's going to happen. So we know that one piece is going to fall, might fall, and we know that we want that when that piece falls off, everything is going to fix itself. And we've designed it to do so, but we don't truly understand what's going to happen until we actually test it out. And actually today, Google had a pretty big outage, and that's exactly what's going on. And chaos engineering, in a way, is allowing us to test that. We inject failures 
locally, gradually, and see how everything is coming together. And those modern debuggers can also be a part of that process because, again, allowing us to on the fly decide what we want to collect, how we want to collect it. Say we're injecting a failure and we want to add additional uh, instrumentation on the fly just before we inject the failure, we can do that. Say we injected the failure and things aren't going as expected, we can inject the additional instrumentation to see what's actually going on and improve our visibility into the system live as we're learning it, as we're trying to experiment and see what's going on. And that makes sense. And you mentioned about chaos engineering too, which prompted me with one more question before we before we close out. And when we're talking about chaos engineering and being able to run those chaos experiments, you really do need a deep understanding of your software. And I was wondering if you wanted to share any any experience you've had about using debugging with chaos experiments to help resolve those faster. So actually, we had a case we found for our customers, and they were running various uh, chaos engineering processes. They were uh, they were Kubernetes based, so they were killing off pods and nodes and so on and seeing how the system is going to respond. And actually, as they were killing off, one of their, uh, they had a, a node that failed to recover properly. They had an application that didn't recover properly. And they actually spent days trying to investigate that uh, issue. They All of a the sudden, there was a, some kind of a performance bottleneck that showed up in one of their applications. And they kept investigating, and they couldn't figure out why. And by actually using Rookout, they've set a bunch of non-breaking breakpoints and they saw that they've hit some uh, some of the EFS, the Amazon EFS uh, bandwidth limits, and that bottleneck their application. And once they've pinpointed that limit, uh, using Rookout, they could uh, re-architecture that specific part to avoid that limitation. That's yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for sharing all of that with us and diving into this topic with us today. And for everyone listening, if you want to learn more about any of these topics, please check out Workout at their website, workout.com. And now before we head out, we have two questions that we like to ask every guest. Are you ready? Sure. I'm here. And what is one thing you wish you would have known sooner about software understandability? I wish it would have been possible before. I mean, I've spent so many years of my career chasing bugs, just waiting for log lines, waiting for deployments. I kind of wish this would have been possible before, that I could just get the information I need without rebuilding, redeploying, restarting, upgrading. That's such a... I, I Just thinking of the nights I've spent watching a build and deployment progress bar going. Oh, yeah. And like trying to determine what's going on as it's crawling across. And that makes a lot of sense. And what about anything you're glad we did not ask you about? I'm glad we didn't dive in too much into Rookout. I mean, obviously, I love the product. I founded the company, but it's nice to be, to speak about other stuff, whether it's understandability in general or chaos engineering and resilience. It's it's a nice change of pace, not just talking about myself all the time. Huh. Well, we appreciate you and the knowledge you bring. Thank you so much for joining us today, Laron. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And this is Quintessence wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. 
Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittolimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittolimit using the number two. That's pageittolimit with the number two. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.